The first couple of months, I was very self-conscious. I would force myself to go outside without my wig on and try and feel normal. From the team behind Stylist, this is Nobody Told Me. Stories of life, love, grief, success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale. I'm your host, Lisa Smazowski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist. In today's episode, we're joined by businesswoman and beauty influencer Gina Knight. Gina was diagnosed with stress-induced alopecia in 2013 after 12 months of visits to GPs and trichologists to find an answer to why her hair was falling out in handfuls. Despite the blow to her confidence and sense of self that losing her hair caused, she generously shared her story online. She subsequently built a loyal community of women going through the same thing who had a safe space to tell their stories to. After struggling to find textured wigs for women like her who were suffering from hair loss, the former salon manager found the solution, launching her own business, Gina Knight Wig Design, to provide confidence and comfort to thousands of women. This is Gina's story in her own words. My name is Gina Knight and nobody told me that losing my hair to alopecia would turn me into a successful businesswoman. My hair when I was a child was very thick. It was always described as comb-breaking hair. It was always referred to as quite negative, but actually my hair was very thick and very healthy. From a young age, my hair has been very important to me, simply as a way to connect with my culture. I'm actually fostered. I was fostered from a young age, from 11 months old until I was... uh, basically 18 I was with the same foster family a white family who lived in southeast London very working class family they took me in for a short-term period which ended up being for the rest of my life (laughs) growing up it was a struggle between my hair with my mom just lack of knowledge not really being able to do it I guess feeling frustration on both sides so my mum would be frustrated because she wouldn't be able to do my hair and I would be frustrated because my hair looked quite awful. (laughs) I didn't have a good relationship with my hair until I started to do it myself. Being a foster child you tend to not have a lot of control over anything so being able to at least control that part of me was very important. I became quite empowered. I got quite good and started to do other people's hair as well. I was literally like 10 years old and people were paying me like 15 pounds to put in braids. I thought I was balling. I thought I was just so rich. (laughs) In my teenage years, I started to experiment with relaxers because I really wanted to look like the girls in the black R&B girl bands like SWV and En Vogue. I wore my hair in that style for quite some years, to be fair. In 2008, I started working for a holistic hair salon. It was very plant-based, it was very natural. At the time, I had relaxed hair, and whilst working there, I kind of became immersed in that sort of culture of of naturalistic well-being, and I decided to grow out my relaxer and return to natural. 
at that time, it was like the the first boom of like social media and blogging. There was a platform called Blogger where people would go and sort of like write an online diary. So that's what I decided to do. After about maybe six months or so, I got quite a lot of traction within um, the natural hair movement, which is what it was becoming known as. I was always working in salon management. I was never on the floor in the hair side. I always worked at European salons, so salons that didn't specialise in Afro hair. And that taught me a lot about the biases and the prejudices that black women can come up against. Black hair is very political in regards to we can be excluded for school for a type of hairstyle. We can be bullied for our hair it's not seen as desirable for the masses. I used to go to the barbers, that was my thing. I always used to go to the barbers and they'd do a little shape up. You'd be the only girl in there and they'd treat you like a princess, so it was awesome. And one day when I was getting my, um, my sort of phase done, the hairdresser said, oh, I've, I've got something for that. And I was like, for what? And he goes, the top of your head, there's a little patch of no hair. And I was like, oh, really? Because obviously I don't see the top of my head very often. So he goes, it's not bad. It's, there's nothing wrong. It's not bad. It's not bad. There's not, it's not too noticeable, but I've got cream. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I kind of forgot about it. I didn't really, I didn't think about it anymore. I moved in with my partner. He lived in a completely different area. So I moved out of London. I left quite a lot of people behind, all my friends, my family, I'd left a job with loads of friends and come to a place where I, I now didn't have a job. Within three months of moving in, we got pregnant. So everything happened very, very fast. That was the height of the stress level that I was under. And I was going to be a new mum as well. I had my baby uh, in 2012 and... As you do, you lose hair, your hair starts to shed. My hair was shedding quite a bit. I was a bit confused as to why I was losing so much hair and it didn't feel like shedding. It felt like a lot of hair loss and it was becoming quite noticeable. After I had my baby, about three months after having her, I went to the doctors and almost straight away, I was kind of dismissed a little about the reasons that it could be. It was almost like, oh, you know, stop putting your hair in braids, stop doing this, even though I hadn't had braids for a very long time. I hadn't had any relaxing treatments for since 2008. So they weren't necessarily listening to what I was saying. The doctor told me to wait a year because they said the shedding stops after a year. There's not much we can do about it. It's just shedding. The shedding never stopped. Something would happen or I'd be stressed or I'd have some sort of trauma, even down to just feeling a little bit low. My scalp would get inflamed and hair would fall out again. So it was almost like a reoccurring thing that I definitely became used to and started to just think, oh, here we go again, like my hair's falling out again. I also had severe um, postnatal depression, so that was not helping the situation either. So it was almost as if I was constantly on an uphill struggle where no matter what I would do, it would just sort of rotate back to me losing even more hair and then feeling even more stressed and then losing even more hair. Usually it would happen in the shower, to be fair. So I'd be washing my hair and just so much hair would be coming out. 
when I dried my hair, I would look and I'd see that there was extra patches. And these patches would eventually grow back. But every time it would grow back, it would grow back finer and finer. And then I went back to the doctors after the year and the doctor gave me a, um, a topical ointment and told me it should clear up. It's probably a fungal infection. So he gave me some Nizoral and said, sort of go on your way. And that was when I completely lost all faith in the GP. There was no care for what could be an underlying issue. I had to do my own research. I had to look up things for myself. I technically had to self-diagnose. I guess they look at you and they just generalise. Oh, it's your hair practices. It's something that you've done. I tried absolutely everything to fix it. But sometimes, unfortunately, with hair loss, it's not actually fixable. I almost spent a majority of my life at that point trying to disguise my hair, trying to wear my hair in styles where people couldn't notice their hair loss. And it was very much in the centre. It almost looked like male pattern baldness. So I was really conscious about that. It was actually really stressful. I kept it a secret for a long while because I had this whole blog that was all about natural hair and hair care and having not perfect hair, but having hair and being able to look after it. And I felt because I went to the doctors and they said, technically, it's your fault. I felt like a bit of a fraud, I guess. Now I look back, I probably would felt very ashamed that I teach women and I speak to women about their hair and I can't even look after my own. Even though it wasn't my fault, I felt very like it was. Nobody told me that having alopecia and losing my hair and being very depressed and stressed about it would actually lead to me running a successful company that not only provides hair replacement but also provides advice and a community for women who suffer the same way that I have done. So I didn't decide to shave off my hair until just after I had my second child. Again I was preempting the shedding becoming <laughs> just really stressful and I was like I can't I can't go through that time again I actually want to be able to embrace having this child it's going to be my last child so I wanted to actually enjoy this time without stressing about things that though seem important to me at the time it's not as important as spending that time with my child and not feeling stressed and feeling 100% focused on my children I just thought you know what this life is too short for me to be stressing about this still years on I decided to go to where I was working at the time I got the girls to shave off my hair they used a, a cutthroat razor and everything it was like it was actually quite freeing and quite therapeutic to do especially because I got it done by my friends um, and they were really supportive because I think if I'd have gotten somewhere or I'd have done it myself I probably would have been doing it and crying at the same time or if I'd have gone somewhere else I would have felt very self-conscious but because I was surrounded by some of my best friends they were like you look great even though I had half shaved hair and half my little afro sticking up they're like you look amazing you look great oh my god so amazing it's like oh, okay okay I look great and you're sort of like I was sat there and I thought I'm not gonna cry because I know this is the right way to go. But it was really emotion a really emotional thing to do, even though I have had short hair before. It's all about 
the choice and the fact that I needed to do this as opposed to doing it for a fashion look. I did document when I shaved off my hair and it was very therapeutic to do so. And I got a lot of support from the community that I've managed to put together since 2008. I realised that I wasn't alone because there were so many people who were messaging me, so many women who were messaging me saying that their hair loss looked exactly like mine, that their experience was very similar to mine with their GP. So many women have contacted me telling me that they have the exact same journey. So many black women who have been going through this in silence. The first couple of months, I was very self-conscious. I would force myself to go outside without my wig on and try and feel normal with very low hair. People would tend to either look at you like you're sick or they're just very confused as to why the other day you had loads of hair and now you don't, because I live in a very smallish type village. So people know you and they're just a little bit like, uh, very confused about what's going on right now. When you shave off your hair, you have to learn to love your face because it's all you're going to be able to see there's nothing to hide behind there's nothing to distract you when I first done it I would wear a lot of makeup I would wear big earrings I would get my eyelashes done and just anything to add that piece of femininity that I thought I was missing because I no longer had hair That's changed for me now, thankfully. I feel like I don't necessarily wear a lot of makeup. I don't feel like I have to wear earrings. I, I feel like I, I look and feel and am feminine. In 2016, I decided that I wanted to experiment with wigs. I let my community know. I was like, oh, I'm gonna try and have wigs, but I wasn't 100% transparent about the reasoning why. But I decided to go for it and I made my first wig uh, by myself. I was very unskilled, completely self-taught and it went really well for the fact that I used like a makeshift dummy head and it was very peculiar, but it, it worked out in the end. I ended up posting about it and people were really, it was received really well. It's like, oh, can you make me one? Can you make me one? And I was like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not. I don't do that for a living. I don't make wigs. Like that's not something that I do. And then my partner said, well, why don't you? I just don't. He goes, I don't really get why you're turning down money. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't, I don't understand. I was like, I'm not a wig maker. And he's like, but you do a really good job. And if you just done a couple of courses, you'd be able to do it because you are good with hair. You've always been good with hair and you actually love it. So I don't understand why you wouldn't give it a try. I decided to make a couple for a few people. I set up a Depop account. That's how like basic I was going. I was like, oh, I don't know if this is gonna work. I was being very tentative and I got three sales in the first day. And that was the most amazing thing in the world. I was like, oh my God, someone actually wants this? From then on, it kind of grew from there. There was a lot of wigs out there for people with hair loss, but there wasn't a lot that spoke to black women and natural hair. And that's really what, where I wanted to be different. And I wanted to talk about wigs in a way that was healthy, 
at the time and even now people were saying oh you know I wear wigs but it rubs away at my hairline or I wear wigs and it's they're just very hot and they do this and they do that and I just wanted to make it about healthy hair first and that's always been my mantra for anything that I do that was kind of how it started and I think because my client base is very much for black women who suffer from hair loss that's who I try to focus on a lot of women do buy it just for fashion or just because they like to wear wigs it's a very on-trend thing to do now but at the heart of it it's for women who suffer with hair loss so I do go very in-depth with a lot of my clients about their hair loss their type of hair loss what they want to achieve the look that they want a lot of the time they genuinely just want to replace what was lost they don't want to be extravagant they don't want to be as extra as I often am with the wigs but they just want to have that replacement of what was lost so there's a lot of people who just want to have their hair back but also I try to promote the fact that it's also okay that you have alopecia or you have hair loss from for any reason it's also okay to embrace that side of yourself this is just an option it's not the rule it's not something that you have to wear it's something that is to enhance how you feel it always felt like this was my side hustle and then I had my day job and then I decided, you know what, this is becoming more than something that I do on the side. People are taking notice and people care about this business, not just me. I think I've made the best decision to focus on this full time. I think it's making a difference to a lot of women's lives. I get a lot of messages from women who not only appreciate the wigs, but they just appreciate the level of service and the level of advice because... I will go the extra mile to make sure that people are feeling confident and comfortable. It's always about like the community that is being grown and I'm glad that I took the time to 100% focus on that community. I've never ever thought that me being open about my hair loss would then lead to me having a successful business where some celebrities wear my wigs and it's been seen in some magazines and it's like that I would never have envisioned for myself because I literally decided to make a wig for myself in 2016 and it has grown from there. I'm actually astounded because I would never have thought that something that I felt was so negative could turn into the most positive thing in my life almost to the point where I'm not 100% glad that I have alopecia but it would never have happened otherwise so I always have to be thankful for the plan that the universe had for me. I do believe that everything has happened for a reason. My hair loss has most definitely led to me refinding myself and definitely helping other people that's always been my main aim from when I was young doing people's hair that was all about helping people and helping myself connect it's always about connecting with black women and because of my childhood that's always been important to me so when it comes to hair my eldest Freya is very much into her hair she wants to do it herself even though it's a bit tricky for her because she has a lot of it but she's obsessed with hair I see a lot of myself in her 
my youngest absolutely hates having her hair done she's only two but she really doesn't like it at all and we struggle but i just teach them that their hair is beautiful that there's going to come a point where they may not like their curls but it's a part of their heritage and it's a part of who they are and they should embrace it and not try and fight against it i spent a lot of my life fighting against something when really embracing it was the best medicine and the best thing to do. So I'm trying to teach them that embracing their hair and embracing their differences is going to benefit them in the long run. You're listening to Stylist Nobody Told Me. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, and you've been listening to the story of Gina Knight. From the moment we're old enough to understand how we look, we're fed a contradiction about our appearances. For many girls, this starts the day they're given a doll with hair to brush. It's a subconscious message that appearance matters, that it speaks about who we are as people. This is then confirmed by the images we see. For girls, so many female role models are still stereotyped. The princesses girls see, even the defiant and independent ones, are always aesthetically perfect. Outfits are beautiful, no hair is ever out of place. These messages are then confirmed by the words that girls hear. They are still pretty and beautiful. The overriding message is, looks matter. As we grow up, we learn that there is truth in this. We learn that we can convey parts of our identity or personality in how we present ourselves to the world. The princesses may be gone, but we can express a taste in music or with our cultural group by the way we wear our hair or the t-shirt we put on that day. Our identity and how we look are complexly, often uncomfortably intertwined. But we are also taught that caring too much about your appearance is superficial. So that when problems arise around it, in Gina's case, hair loss, they're often brushed aside as trivial. When Gina raised this life-altering condition with her GPs, her concerns were swept aside. When you consider that hair has its own language around masculinity or femininity, fertility and virility, or health and sickness, you realise what an impact losing it has. In fact, Hair loss is often cited as one of the number one fears for a woman when faced with life-saving chemotherapy. We value our hair as far more than a superficial part of our appearance. To quote a sage of our time, Fleabag, hair is not trivial, it is important. As Gina so eloquently explained, our relationship with our hair is nuanced, it's personal. For her, it was intrinsically linked to her experience growing up as a black child in a white foster family, to gaining confidence and then trust in her own identity. So when she lost her hair, she also lost some of that identity and some of that control over a huge part of who she is. Building a sense of self was obviously not an easy journey for Gina, but by sharing her story through social media, she created an open conversation where there once might have just been silence or shame. Because talking about things, creating normality and providing a platform for others to do the same always helps. The more honest we all are about the challenges we face, the better the world will be for everyone. 
Gina also proves that when faced with a challenge to our identity through how we look, we can find new ways, a new route, and even a new business, which in turn becomes our new and even improved identity. What is even more remarkable is that Gina's story is proof that our fears and our struggles are often the catalyst for our greatest achievements. Thank you again to Gina Knight for joining us on Nobody Told Me. As an advocate for open discussions around hair loss, you can follow her on Instagram and through her business, Gina Knight Wig Design, a range of hair loss solutions for Afro and textured hair. We have a wealth of brilliant women coming your way this series, so please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss Bryony Gordon on how she's learnt there's no shame in being sad, Sinead Burke on why refusing to be operated on as a child was the best decision she made, and beauty influencer Anchal on why she has to date in secret. Thank you for listening to Nobody Told Me.